0: You're tuning into Parenting Naked, a collaborative to help navigate the celebrations and challenges of parenting.
1: Hi, and welcome to Parenting Naked Collaborative. My name is Misty White. I am 41 years old. I have three children, two biological and one adopted. I have been pregnant three times. I am a licensed professional counselor and I currently have my own private practice called Cascading Hope. My background is working with kids in early childhood education. I have my bachelor's degree in psychology with an emphasis in early childhood education where I worked in childcare and discovered that I wanted to support families. So I went and got my master's degree in community counseling, family and marriage counseling. I have over 13 years of experience working specifically with families and children. 10 of those have been working in a residential facility for treating children with trauma and neglect and helping them and their families during that time. Hi,
0: my name is Gretchen Levy. I'm 40 years old. I have two young daughters. I've had three pregnancies. Um, In my professional life, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I work with children and families. Um, I started in child advocacy, and I went on to get my master's um, with work with families. And I got an interpersonal trauma certificate. Um, So most of my work has been focused around helping people um, work through issues related to adverse life experiences. I've been doing that for about 15 years. And currently, I am in an integrated care model at a pediatric office. I'm Denon Moore, age 42. I have two teenage boys. I experienced two pregnancies. Currently, I'm an entrepreneur and self-employed. I have a background of 10 years of counseling experience in an adolescent and adult mental health outpatient facility with a bachelor's in psychology.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to talk about a couple things um, today that I feel are really important for helping new parents and individuals that are wanting to become parents as well. Um, I have a pretty strong background in early childhood development. I have my bachelor's degree in early child development and directed a small child care center for many years before becoming a, a family and marriage therapist. So, today we're just going to talk a little bit about our experiences of um, getting pregnant and how that went for us. When I was growing up, I never really visualized myself being a parent. Um, I felt like there was a lot of kids out there that were in need. So, I never visualized actually becoming pregnant, but possibly just adopting. So, when I um, met my husband, it became a reality, which was a very interesting process for me. I have been pregnant three times. Uh, I have had two babies from those pregnancies. I had one successful pregnancy and then my second pregnancy we had a miscarriage and then my third pregnancy we had my son. I'm also an adoptive parent and he came a little bit later to us and we'll talk a little bit about what those pregnancies were like. So this is
0: Danon speaking. I have had two pregnancies, kind of going back to the process of planning and thinking about being pregnant and having children. When I was younger, I never imagined myself being a mother and then meeting my husband and kind of falling in love and seeing that this union could really, um, I guess, grow two successful children. Uh, we, it just was a really great opportunity and I wanted to take it. Well, we could, but we had two pregnancies. They were both successful. For me, I was very fortunate um, to, you know, not have to experience trauma or difficult pregnancies. We're going to get into raising those kids later, but it was a pretty easy process for me. This is Gretchen. Um, I have two daughters. I've had three pregnancies. The first pregnancy ended with a miscarriage and then the two pregnancies after that were pretty easy without complication, And now I have a four-year-old and a 19-month-old. I think I always thought I would be a parent. I think, like a lot of women, like my like plan, the plan I had for my life was supposed to occur much earlier than it actually ended up occurring. <laughs> so I thought I would have kids by the time I was 30. I didn't actually even get married until I was 34. So both my pregnancies, I was considered advanced maternal age. I had my um, first when I was 38, and my second when I was just about 40. So, yeah, it just went a little differently than planned, but I um, wouldn't trade it for the world. It's been a positive experience overall, challenging, but equally
1: rewarding. <laughs> this is Misty. Gretchen, I love that you talk about starting a family a little bit later, because I think that's happening quite a bit right now. I didn't start until I was a little bit later or older as well. I got married when I was 29. We didn't have our first kiddo until I was around 31. So I think a lot of us are starting a little bit later. And um, I like your terminology better than geriatric pregnancies. I think a lot of women find offense to that. I'm noticing that on a lot of forums of feeling like, You know, it's pretty insulting to be called a geriatric pregnancy. It would be nice if we could help reframe that terminology so it felt a little bit more supportive. (laughs) Yes, and destigmatize it. Yeah, 100%. So I wanted to go into just a little bit about our first pregnancies because I think that's really important. For me, the reason why I wanted to start this Parenting Naked Collaborative was because first I had to wrap my head around being pregnant when for so many years I tried hard to not become pregnant. I watched my sister who was uh, 16 get pregnant. I was 14 at the time. I was in the delivery room with her and that whole process freaked me out to the point where I thought I am never going to be a teen pregnant person. And it was really funny, because even when I got pregnant, I had to think, well, I'm not a teen, like, it's okay, it's okay for me to be pregnant in my 30s. But there was still a piece of me that was like, Oh, my gosh, like, Do I know what I'm doing and talking myself into knowing that I was capable, that I could be a parent? I was not a teen, but it was hard for me. It was hard for me going through my entire 20s and sexual relationships thinking I do not want to get pregnant and then working towards getting pregnant. So that was a paradigm shift for me. When I did finally get pregnant, my husband was really excited. And I know that that's not often the experience for some couples. Um, My husband always wanted to get pregnant. And so he really convinced me that I wanted it too, <laughs> which was an interesting time. But I got some parenting books, of course, the What to Expect When Expecting book, which was great. But it just lacked emotion to it. It was like, okay, you knew what was going on in your first month what was going on second month but it never encompassed like well here's what you could be feeling and I needed that I needed to know like oh my gosh like what do other mommies experience being one month pregnant two months pregnant three months pregnant and it created a lot of anxiety for me even though I had girlfriends that were currently pregnant we never talked about it ever and that was weird to me like why are we not talking about you know we're so exhausted the first month You know, the second month we're feeling like we need to throw up all the time. We've got hypersenses, we can smell everything. And you know, just trying to trip through that process, my husband couldn't help. I mean, he cared, but didn't care, Um, you know, as long as I could just get up. But being tired, one of my clients called it the pregnancy hibernation stage, the first trimester. And I thought that was so funny because we do go into hibernation stage that first month if we can. Um, So my first pregnancy went well. The only major complications that I had during that pregnancy um, was heartburn. I had such bad heartburn, and so I lived off of chocolate milk most of the time. The delivery took a lot longer than what we had expected. Um, They almost wanted to suggest a C-section, but they decided not to. And so that was good, but exhausting. I was at the hospital in active labor for probably about 24 hours before um, actually being able to push. So that was a hard and scary experience for me. But all in all, it was a good pregnancy and I enjoyed being pregnant. This is Danam speaking.
0: I was 23 when I actually 22 when I decided I wanted to become pregnant. We were fairly newlyweds. Um, My husband's parents were adoptive parents, but adopted their two children very late in life. And hence when i got to meet them and kind of become part of their family they were just really old and it was so important for me to kind of come to this decision if we were going to have children i didn't want to be an old grandparent i wanted to be young and lively and i wanted to enjoy watching my children grow up and my children's children grow up so it was really important for me to have these kiddos quickly so i started at 23 or 24 and Had my first child at 25, my second child at 27. But I want to focus on my first child. It was very joyful to think we were going to bring this child into the world. And my husband was extremely supportive of the whole process. But all at the same time, I was working in um, mental health with adolescent girls who were severely dysfunctional, had come from very traumatic backgrounds. And I started to think, am I equipped? Can I? be a good parent? Can I do things to avoid what some of the parents had done for these poor girls that we were caring for at the time? And so I definitely got myself tripped up on the idea of what what does it take to be a parent and to be a good parent and to follow through? This is such a commitment. I don't think I'd ever made a commitment like that in my life. And so I had a weird experience. My my labor lasted for just about as long as Misty's. It was 20 active hours of labor with three hours of pushing, <laughs> with one push left before we were going to go and do an emergency C-section. And by the act of God, he, um, my first child came out just fine, but it was a very long process. So the thing that I think really stunned me after they gave him to me was the feeling of I didn't have an emotional attachment to him and I thought I had been loving this baby the whole time he was in my womb but I looked at him and the first thought that came to my mind regardless of who was in the room to be supportive with me was I don't know how to love this and I couldn't even say him or his name but I didn't know how to love this child and so It was probably three extremely long, exhaustive days where I just kept thinking to myself, am I going to love this kiddo? How do I attach myself to this child? And so Thankfully, thankfully, there was that moment, the aha moment that I did start loving my baby and it, you know, we could start bonding. But for those first three days, I just felt like something was completely off and missing and it was hard to see, convince myself this, switch would come on. And so that was one thing that was very impactful for me. And then laboring my second child, I had a very different experience. I think I was very instinctual about that pregnancy I knew it was going to be a boy even though I hadn't had an ultrasound tell me it was going to be a boy and definitely had a very different bond with him the moment he came out and into this world and so just paralleling the two was a unique experience for me and then sometimes as a new mother you've got your second baby who was easy to love in that first moment and then you kind of look and and you doubt yourself you know was there something wrong the first time? Are you loving the second one too much? And so I kind of went through that push and pull with um, comparing and contrasting the two pregnancies for sure and deliveries. And I'm going to pass it over to Gretchen and we'll let her talk about it. Let's see. So first pregnancy for me was a lot of heartburn. That's the biggest memory, (laughs) sensory memory I have about it. It was everyday heartburn from, like, the moment I woke up until I went to bed. And every day at 3 o'clock, I remember she would get the hiccups. So no matter where I was, like, that was a constant. She would have the hiccups every day about 3 p.m. for anywhere up to an hour. I was very excited to be pregnant. I enjoyed being pregnant for the most part. You know, it comes with its discomforts, but feelings I had about it were all positive. I did, you know, I've had a challenging childhood myself. And so I did have questions about whether I would know how to be a good mother. I have a lot of strain in my mother daughter relationship with my mom, and it hasn't been easy. And so I was wondering if that would be intuitive or if I would know how to be a loving and nurturing mother on my own or if that would be encumbered by the experiences that I'd had. Tatum did not come into the world as I planned, which I, I think is interesting because I tried very hard not to have a plan. And so I had seen a lot of women have a birth plan and be very married to that plan. And then when things didn't go according to that plan, feeling just really thrown for a loop, really sideways about it, not, you know, upset. And so I tried, we went to birthing class and I tried to leave my options open. I didn't say I wasn't going to have an epidural. I was only going to do, you know, the Bradley method or something like that. But just I was going to see what I could tolerate. And if I couldn't tolerate it, I would get an epidural. So we went to the hospital. I was at a, at five by the time we got to the hospital. They didn't believe me that I was that advanced because I was a first time mom. And then they got me into the exam room and they were like, oh, OK, so we're moving into a delivery room. So Things seemed to progress pretty quickly, but then ultimately she had um, her hand on top of her head and could not be delivered vaginally. And then that's when the plan I thought I didn't have made itself evident to me is that I really, really wanted to have a vaginal birth and I was devastated by having to have a C-section. And the doctors were great in that they made it seem like a choice to us, but it was essentially like we are either going to We can try to manipulate the baby manually, um, but we don't know if that will send the baby's heart rate up. So we could try that and maybe be in an emergency C-section situation or we can just go ahead and perform a C-section. So then they left the room and I was um, distraught and they actually brought in one of the labor and delivery nurses had had three C-sections. So they brought her in to talk to me about what my fears and concerns were. And then we ended up having a C-section and 15 minutes later, we had a baby. So that process was interesting in terms of the delivery process. I I feel like I felt like my body failed me and I had a lot of guilt and like sorrow around the fact that I had had the C-section and that was compounded by a doctor that was a partner of my OBs. My OB didn't actually deliver either of my babies as it turns out, but the partner came into the room the next day and he said, well, so you had a C-section. And so that means if you have another baby, you'll probably have another. And, uh, you know, just sometimes not all women's anatomy is designed for this. And I wanted to choke him. I was so angry. I was already so conflicted and upset about, what had happened and the way things had had to transpire and for him to say that was really just like turning the knife in the wound so needless to say i requested that i never interacted with that doctor again from that practice after that interaction but anyway all's well that ends well i had a beautiful healthy baby and she was really really great uh, continues to be and uh,
1: there she is and that's my story Okay, so now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about um, breastfeeding versus formula feeding because I know that this is a hot topic for a lot of people. Um, I think it's a hot topic for tons of different reasons. Um, I think sometimes people feel like they have to breastfeed and sometimes their bodies aren't able to produce milk and there's a lot of shame around that. I think there's women out there who don't want to breastfeed because it does take a toll on your body. It changes the whole construct of breasts and your ideology around what breasts are there for. And then I think there's a lot of uh, heated discussions around formula and what is the best for baby. And, you know, for me, I, I feel like I land pretty much in the middle of that. I think for women that are unable to breastfeed, that it's important to have formula. We've got to feed and nourish our babies. And I think for some women They think that breastfeeding is the best way, and for some women, formula is uh, also the best for them. When I found out that I was pregnant, my husband and I were not financially in a great place. We both had student loans. I was working for a nonprofit organization and was barely making $50,000 a year. My husband was finishing up his internship, and so um, money was definitely a concern for us. And so one of the reasons why we decided to breastfeed was definitely financial. And then the other piece was just I knew a lot about attachment with with kiddos and felt like it was something that I wanted to provide for my kids if I could. And I was nervous about it. I had heard a lot of tales of it being really painful. I had a large group of women around me, my my mom and a whole bunch of her friends that would talk to me about breastfeeding and things that I needed to do to prepare my breasts for breastfeeding, like, you know, getting... a a washcloth and rubbing them up against my nipples or using a file to file down my nipples. Like all of these horrible, I know everyone's cringing, all of these things that they're like, you need to prepare your breasts for. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So uh, when I was probably about six months pregnant, I took a breastfeeding course at the local hospital. The breastfeeding course, I think was nice in uh, the idea of what they were trying to do. They talked about different holding techniques like how to hold your baby, how to position baby. But all of that's great until baby comes and it feels like none of that's really working very well. So you know during pregnancy my boobs got huge which most women's breasts get really big. And I remember talking to one of my girlfriends that had already had a baby and she had warned me <laughs> Just wait until your milk comes in after baby comes. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? Wait until your milk comes in. So, you know, baby comes, my first baby came, little Zoe. And, you know, the second she comes out, the doctors want you to put the baby to your breast. And which was fine. I was ready for that, but I wasn't ready for the feeling, the the physical feeling that came with that. And just the intensity of sucking. It didn't know that babies. Uh, mouths could be that strong. And it, so it kind of took me off guard, which was fine. Um, but then it hurt. It hurt really bad. And I remember the lactation nurse coming in and saying, see, she's not latched on right. And it probably took about 30 minutes to really get Zoe to latch on correctly. And I have also witnessed other women who, when babies don't latch on right away, they give up. Like right there in the hospital room, they give up. And so part of having this conversation is to say, don't give up. You know, we're not perfect at any of these things, especially in the beginning, because it's foreign. It's a foreign muscle memory. It's foreign to get the baby to latch on and different concepts of, you know, pretend like your breast is a, a hamburger and you've got to kind of put it so far in the baby's mouth and you feel like you're choking the baby and you're like, oh my gosh, this just doesn't seem right. But once Zoe got attached on and started feeding, it felt great. It felt great to be able to feed and nourish her just by my body, which is, which is a great. It's great. But it's also hard for some women to do that. And so for me, it was like the slippery slope of feeling proud of doing that and also feeling a sense of like I didn't want to shame anybody else because they might not have been able to do it on their own. So I was able to successfully breastfeed my daughter up until she was about 16 months old. And then um, with my third child, who's actually adopted, uh, I tried to also breastfeed. Well, I did breastfeed, but I noticed that I wasn't producing enough milk just because I really was not pregnant with him. And so we had to switch to formula with him. And I remember feeling... A lot of shame around that for some reason. I don't even know why. I think much like what Gresham had said, I felt like my body had failed me and I was failing my baby. And so there was this really big piece of like, I can't do this for my baby. But then also wrapping my head around, I really wasn't pregnant. He was an adoptive baby and I did as much as I could do for him with my own breast milk. But the formula feeding has a lot of convenience to it, I felt as well. You know, with breastfeeding, you oftentimes have to find a place that you feel comfortable breastfeeding. You have to, if you're driving the car, you actually have to stop and pull over to breastfeed if you're going to do it safely. And so there's a lot of benefits of being able to just bottle feed your baby with formula in that kind of capacity. And now there's so many different new brands that are coming so much closer to actual breast milk, which is absolutely phenomenal. And so my hope is that people can wrap their head around that both are great for the baby, both are nurturing to the baby and bowls can also help with attachment. And the nice thing about the formula feeding is your partner then can be able to also feed baby, which I know that when breastfeeding the partner often feels left out, feels like there's nothing that I can really do to help unless you introduce the bottle with breast milk too and, and are willing to pump. It's a nice way for partners to be able to connect to baby too when you're able to formula feed as well.
0: This is Stan again and I had a completely different experience with breastfeeding. I had three months off per baby for maternity leave and really wanted to give this breastfeeding thing my best go. It didn't ever work well. And so I fought it tooth and nail the whole time. With Andrew, my firstborn, that was the biggest struggle, just not having the right support, not understanding how to get the baby to latch in the middle of the night when you're super sleepy. And in fact, it was probably one of the darkest times of being a new mom. For me, I didn't have a real great support system around me to help with regards to breastfeeding or someone to call in the middle of the night. And I just remember there were times where I kind of wished I could stop breastfeeding or for the lack of a better word, just kind of like take the plunge. Like I, I was on the second story floor of my house and I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm ready to jump out that window. Not that I really wanted to jump out that window and I wasn't suicidal, But just feeling so helpless at two in the morning while you're kind of all by yourself was a struggle. But past that real kind of down, dark moment for me, I continued to breastfeed until I went back to work and I had worked nights. So my husband was home at night with both children and I was at work at night. And it was just really difficult because I was in an environment where I was caring for others. There wasn't a real consistent time for me to be able to pump. And I just felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm just doing this because I have to. The feeling of doing it because I wanted to went away. And so I just decided then when it became more of like this obligation and not a a nurturing kind of moment, I decided to stop breastfeeding. And that's when we went to full formula. And I agree with what Misty was saying. Bringing formula into it really, I think, allowed my husband to have an opportunity to bond with both babies and attach, which was nice. And so he had from the get go gotten to have a really good relationship with both boys. But yeah, for me breastfeeding was just a struggle and it just never seemed to come very naturally. So I've always kind of been on both sides of the fence. I agree. I think those first few months is so critical to get the right nutrition and antibodies and build up the immune system. But at the end of the day, you know, I just tell other mothers that have talked about this with me is it's it's what's comfortable what works well. Stay sane. Don't go crazy (laughs) over trying to force your body or force your baby to do something that just might not at the end of the day work out. That's my advice. Go with what feels right and what keeps you healthy and safe. So Similar to both of you, I found breastfeeding to be more challenging than I ever anticipated. And the first thing I tell new moms, if they are seeking any advice, is that this is the hardest part. At least that was the truth for me. It was without a like having a newborn, this disturbance in sleep, all of that did not compare to how hard breastfeeding was. It's a it mean your only job. It feels like when you bring home a new baby is to keep that baby fed. And so it becomes just like this focal point and there's so much pressure around it. I also find it interesting that our healthcare system does not create more support around it. I had two lactation visits in the hospital. They were probably a combined total of maybe 30 minutes. They showed me how to use a pump, but it was a hospital pump. It wasn't the pump I had at home. I got home, and it was my girlfriend that came upstairs and was like, You don't know how to use this thing? Oh, let me show you. You need to start being able to leave bottles. And I was like, Oh, well, yeah, that's so liberating. Okay, yes, I want to do that. She's like shoving these cones on me, turning the thing up to nine. And I was just like, She's had three kids. She knew what she was doing. And she, you know, that's the type of friend you need is somebody that's going to get in there and just, you know, not have all the Formality around things be candid and let you know what's up when Tatum was born, she gained weight in the hospital, which I guess is a rarity and everybody was just applauding that, and they were so excited and this never happens and Then we went to her first doctor's visit a couple of days later, and she had dropped below her birth weight, which in reality was probably fine because she was up in the hospital, which But there was this big reaction from the pediatrician that this was a concern and we might need to do a triple feeding. And what that would entail would be me nursing, then pumping, then feeding her that, and then feeding her again. I was like, again, new mom, left in tears. I felt, again, like I wasn't living up to my job. Now I needed to do this new thing. And I got to that point, Misty, where I was like, do I even do this? Because basically what it was going to require is that I was feeding her around the clock. If I wasn't feeding her, I was pumping. And I did it for four days straight. I was a breastfeeding machine. And that was my only goal. And I think she had gained like six ounces by the time. that I, I can't remember if it was six or it was eight, but she had gained a lot of weight back, more than they had hoped for. But it was, I mean, I, I virtually didn't sleep for four days. So yes, I can relate to uh, all the pressure that is put around breastfeeding. Um, I also am a big advocate of getting that pump working and getting it working immediately so that you can get some freedom and and time to yourself and leave dad to, to feed the baby.
1: One of the things that I think is also important that I didn't know during any of my pregnancies to pump in tandem with breastfeeding, which seems so logical when you talk about it right now with a group of women about, oh, that makes a lot of sense because then you're producing a little bit more milk. But I, for the first couple of months, I just solely breastfed and I had a pump and I thought, well, I'll start pumping when it becomes closer time for me to go back to work. And that for me um, was a horrifying mistake because I never had enough milk. I felt like I never had enough milk. There would be times that my husband or my mom would call and it'd be like three o'clock in the afternoon and they would say, you're out of breast milk. We don't have any more breast milk in the freezer. And I had two full bags that I'd pumped from work. And I thought, this is impossible. Like, how how do women... Have that much milk, but their little secret, as we're talking about, is you gotta pump as much as you breastfeed from the very beginning. The pumps are super important to get, and we will definitely do a segment on breast pumps alone because it's important that you have the right breast pump for your body. And do you need a hospital grade breast pump? Do you just need a smaller one? Do you just want a hand pump one just to stimulate the milk from coming through? So We'll definitely talk more with that as well. There's more to come on breastfeeding that we can talk about. I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about why we are coming together to do the Parenting Naked Collaborative. And for me, I felt like there were so many things that I was witnessing as a therapist, witnessing as a friend, witnessing as a mom, that we don't talk about. We just... we as society expects us, we talk about the fun parts of pregnancy. We talk about all of the cute things that our kids do. You know, it's like Facebook portrait of what pregnancy should be like or Facebook portrait of how we're supposed to think and believe about having children. And my experience has been that there is a really dark side to this whole thing. And there's funny parts in it as well. I don't want to focus on the negative, but the negative parts, I feel like, We need to talk about this so other women who are going through it, other parents are going through it, go, oh my God, somebody else has experienced this? That's absolutely great. Maybe we can ask questions. We can start conversations with other women in our area or friends or family members. And that is the hope of the Parenting Naked Collaborative is to generate conversation, not only with the women in the circle right now, but amongst communities that are listening. Some of the things that I just have witnessed during my time of working with kids that have made me feel like this is important. Um, First of all, I've talked about uh, watching my sister get pregnant when I was 14 and watching her struggles with that. She had a very supportive family. We were all there for her. She had her parents living in the same house. I was there, so she had built-in babysitters. I was in the delivery room with her and watched her push so hard, she broke blood vessels in her eyes. And that was definitely enough to freak me out. <laughs> um, and again, uh reframed from having any kind of sexual relationships until I felt like I was old enough. If I did become pregnant, I could provide a loving, supportive, caring, nurturing home for that baby. Watching teenagers get pregnant, I think, is going to be uh, something important to talk about and how do we support them. Miscarriages. There are so many women who have miscarriages. I believe the statistic is either one in three women or one in four women have a miscarriage. And that's not one out of every four women. It's one, every woman, their pregnancies, one in three or one in four pregnancies fail. Oftentimes, I think we take uh, accountability for that. We feel shame around that. We feel like maybe we should have done something harder or something differently to keep that going. I've also seen in our communities, you know, women getting hurt during their pregnancies. Statistically, males hurt their partners more often when they're pregnant. And women get murdered. Babies get murdered. And so I think talking about how stressful this is for men as well, our partners as well, and providing support around, this is a scary thing. Our lives are changing, but we don't need to go to that kind of extreme. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Infertility, we see infertility quite a bit. I went to school with five women, and two of the five of us uh, weren't able to have children. And I wonder how often that's happening, and what's the cause of that. And you know, how do we support women who are doing IVF and other things to help them get pregnant? Moms leaving, um, there's a lot more happening these days where women feel like they don't want to be moms after they get pregnant, and they are leaving. And dads are becoming the single parents and vice versa. So, talking about that, why do people leave when baby comes? And how do we support the parent who did stick around and being there for them and what to expect? I had a guy friend who we were hanging out in our mid 20s, and one day he showed up with a baby in tow. And I said, Are you babysitting? And he said, No. My ex girlfriend knocked on my door two days ago and said, Here's your baby, and left. He had nothing, he had no time to prepare. He had nothing. And he's not the only one in that situation. So how do we support him in that? We're going to talk about adoptions. We're going to talk about feeling isolated during our pregnancies and after uh, having babies. That was the hardest thing for me having babies is I felt so isolated and so alone, even though I had friends. I felt like they needed to reach out to me. So I never reached out to them. And so I created some of that. And talking about how do we reach out? How do we reach out to people without feeling like they don't like me enough or they don't care about me enough? Um, Because that's what was swimming in my head was, gosh, if my friends really cared about me, they would reach out to me. And really, I think in honesty, they weren't reaching out because they were giving me privacy. And I think that we need less privacy when we have babies. (laughs) We need people to come in and say, let me help you out. Let me tell you what I experienced and how to support you. Negative coping skills. Oh my goodness. So we, I feel like we'll spend a lot of time on negative coping skills. What do I mean by that? I mean, how many women are drinking while breastfeeding? How many women are drinking to go to sleep because they are in desperate need for sleep? How many men are drinking because they want to go to sleep? What kind of prescription drugs are people abusing? What kind of non-prescription drugs are people abusing to cope with being a new parent? Because it's hard. So we're going to definitely talk about that. Pretending to be okay. Our society just wants everyone to be okay. And we pretend and we pretend and we pretend. And I want us to stop pretending and I want us to get real around that. These are just some of the things why I feel it's so important that we get this up and running and start conversations. And even in here, you're gonna hear us generating conversations about what we experienced and how we dealt with all of that. So I look forward to that coming up soon.
0: Hi everybody, this is Danon again. I am just really supporting this mission with the idea that it takes a village to raise children. And for me, one of the toughest things was just not having that support system, not having a mother or grandmother or sister, somebody that felt comfortable enough to come and just wrap themselves around me, embrace this experience. It was very isolating for me. And so just, you know, kind of helping open this conversation and allowing for a forum for people to come forward and feel comfortable. we can ask for help. We can seek support. We can celebrate together. We can cry together. I'm really excited for what this collaborative is going to bring. For me, I want to put myself out there and help someone, you know, go through the process of, am I doing this right? Or is this wrong? Or it doesn't feel right. I want everybody to know there is no right. There's no wrong. As long as you're not putting your baby in harm or yourself in harm, everything happens the way it's supposed to. But Just getting rid of that feeling of aloneness or not doing it the right way is going to be something really exciting that we can move forward with in the coming weeks and years here. For me, I got to experience my sister as a single parent and some of the pains of, you know, what that's like to go through and just have your partner leave while you're pregnant. I didn't have to experience that, but I'd love to bring that conversation forward because there's something to be said about, again, going back to the village mentality. You don't have to do it alone, but how do you ask for help in those dark times or um, in troubling times when you don't feel like you should ask for help? I think there's the stigma of, well, you, you got pregnant out of wedlock and your baby's father left, so now you did this to yourself, and we have to get past that. This is a blessing. This is something that you can embrace. There are choices, but to just know that somebody can be there to support you and not shame you. You have to get past kind of that shameful part of being pregnant or what each of us experiences in our own story. also love to, you know, bring forward the complications of pregnancy when you have when you're carrying a child with illness. Or you have an illness, you know, a parent with cancer or whatever it might be, a developmental disability that's not known until after delivery. So I'm looking forward to that. I have some friends that I think would really like to open up that discussion and talk about their experiences, also their times of sadness and celebration with regards to having children with disabilities. Another thing that really affected me was the postpartum depression. I don't think that we talk about that enough. And I think postpartum depression comes in all shapes and sizes and in duration. I am very excited to bring that conversation to the table and really put out there to other moms and fathers that postpartum does exist. And this is you know, just a cycle of having the child and raising baby from infancy to childhood. And so just bringing that up. Having that as an open conversation and knowing that we all experience these things at times and it's acceptable. By bringing this conversation forward, we'll hopefully shape more acceptance in the workplace, more acceptance with our families, and again, bringing it back to the village, doing what we can to really rely on the support that's around us and to know that we can ask for help. So I hope at the end of the day, we're encouraging people to ask for help. I'm going to pass it over to Gretchen. Thank you. I'm just excited to be a part of this collaborative because I think um it's so important to build community around parenthood and becoming a new parent and my goal for this podcast is just to be the girlfriends guide to just keep it real. I think too often we sanitize a lot about pregnancy and child rearing and it's my goal is to dispel the glow mom myth, you know, the glow mom that we see on Instagram, Facebook or blogs that is just presenting their very best self and making it look really easy and the truth is it's it's not easy and i like what misty said that it's okay to not be okay you know we have had some friends recently that have had babies and um even my husband says you know i try to connect with that dad all the time like how is it going and they just always say it's okay and i wish you would just say the truth and I think it can be really validating and empowering for us to hear from one another's trials. We don't need to be just comparing ourselves to what's picture perfect. That doesn't make anybody feel better. What makes people feel better is to really connect around the challenges and the triumphs. You know, it's important to have the successes there too, but I think what really creates bonding and a sense of support is to know that it's hard for other people too. I also struggled with postpartum depression. I think I'm still recovering from that a little. My daughter's now 19 months, but I don't think I'm totally out of the woods. Having a second child was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Again, to go back to myths, people told me, well, you're already doing it, so it's really not that big of a deal when you have another one. That was such a lie. And I think the people that told me that knew they were lying. They were just trying to make me feel better about what I was about to embark on. And the truth is, it's not easier. It's, you, you are doing it, but now you're doing it double. Sorry, that was a tangent. but. I'm um, so excited to talk about just parenting, what that looks like with a partner or without, how to embrace the chaos and quit comparing yourself to an idealistic standard that isn't achievable. That's it. I'm, I'm excited about this collaborative and I think it's going to be very valuable. That concludes our episode for today. Thank you for listening to Parenting Naked Collaborative. To learn more about Parenting Naked Collaborative, visit us on the web at www.parentingnaked.com or follow us on Facebook at Parenting Naked. Thanks so much and have a great day.